I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In June 2021, this woman provided the court with a harrowing 24-minute testimonial discussing just a fraction of the pain she had endured at the hands of her family, team, and judicial system. Little did she know that this testimony would signal the beginning of the end of the legalized abuse this woman had silently suffered from for more than a decade. This is the Britney Spears story. All right, welcome back, Amy. You are looking quite fabulous today, I have to say. You like this? This looks really good to you. Look at that. No, I love it. Look at my hair. Have you ever? Looks like you really went all out for our recording today. (laughs) Oh, isn't that so kind of you to notice? Thank you, Megan. So today's episode was suggested by our new research assistant, Jessica Simcox. Oh, Jessica's wonderful. I know. And I have to tell you, when she suggested this case, at first I was thinking, does this fit with women in crime? But after reading her research and doing a lot of my own, this case absolutely belongs on our show. And what did I say when you told me you were going to be covering Britney Spears? I said the same thing. I'm like, really? Yeah, well, I wasn't sure, but I think I'll have you convinced by the end, but I will wait till then and I will ask you your opinion. Um, So a big thank you to Jessica. Um, I hope we do the episode justice for you and everyone else. Um, We have a couple exciting things before we get into today's episode. One of them is that 
we are hosting a happy hour with our patrons. And when is that, Amy? That's coming up on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Central Time. And I can't wait because I think we'll end up spending most of the time on our Sherry Papini update because there's been a little movement in the case even since we published the update episode. Yes, that's right. So that's Thursday, March 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I also think, Amy, we've got some information about Melissa Lucio, right? Yeah, she has a clemency hearing scheduled for Tuesday. Yes. Which is our release day. So actually, when you're listening to this, the clemency hearing will be today. So who knows? Maybe we'll be doing an update shortly about her fate. We'll see. Can't wait to hear, too, what our patrons have to say about these cases, because they're obviously both really, really controversial. And there's so many issues to, like, Mm -hmm. unpack. So we look forward to seeing you all there. And speaking of patrons, we have some to thank today, right? We have Brittany... And by the way, that is Brittany, not Brittany. I hope I pronounced your name right. I tried my best. We have Maya from Denmark. Very exciting. Rebecca Mitchell and Emily. And I think we have a couple more, Amy. All right. And a big thank you to Liz L., Jeff Ponchico from Danella, New Jersey, Ray Shoemaker and Shoes Stever. And Amy, do you want to tell our listeners who Jeff is? Yes, Jeff Ponchico is actually Jeff Sloshberg. That's his moniker. And that is my father. So thank you so much to my dad for supporting us. I wonder if he's coming to our Zoom happy hour. <laughs> I, I hope he does. I really do. And, you you know, also, I thought it was hilarious that you wrote him the thank you card with the stickers. <laughs> I did. So great. Thank you, Jeff. We're glad we added you to the fan club. Thank you so much. We really appreciate any way you support the show. It's because of you that we are able to continue bringing you quality content, and we love doing so. Now on to today's episode. While we want this story to be about the basic human rights of Britney Spears as a person and not Britney Spears the pop star, I think it's important to briefly summarize Britney's record-breaking career and the years of really chronic character assassination she suffered prior to losing most of her legal rights. And this is just to give you and everyone context as to why it took so long for people to question her situation. She's been in a conservatorship for 13 years. And what exactly is a conservatorship? Essentially, she is not in charge of her life. She has a legal guardian, an adult guardian, for all purposes of making any decisions financially and a lot of decisions personally. And we'll definitely cover that in, in great detail, I promise. But before that... Britney's career. She began at age eight. After Britney's mom, Lynn, realized she could sing, the two moved to New York City to pursue dreams of fame and fortune. And two years later, Britney was a finalist on Star Search. Do you remember Star Search? Of course. Okay. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, because we have some younger listeners, (laughs) it was an 80s and 90s version of like America's Got Talent. American Idol, right? Yeah. 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 I loved it. And at age 11, Britney became the youngest cast member on Disney's all-new Mickey Mouse Club. Do you remember the Mickey Mouse Club, too? Yeah, she had a lot of famous co-stars. Justin Timberlake, right? Wasn't Christina Aguilera there, Mm -hmm. too? Yeah. Yeah. By age 15, Britney had landed a recording contract with Jive Records. And just one year after her first single, do you remember which one? Hit me, baby. I don't want to sing it. What is it? Uh, One more time. Yep. Baby, one more time. Exploded onto the charts globally and landed at number one in 22 countries, instantly turning the 16-year-old into a household name worldwide. The song would go on to sell over 10 million copies and in 2021 was named the greatest debut single of all time by Rolling Stone. What? I did not know that. How much did you love that song? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The video, I could do it by heart. Yeah. Should we? (laughs) <laughs> Should we know? 
Britney was the best-selling teen artist in history and best-selling female artist of the entire 2000s decade, awarded by every major music organization in the United States and earning the name the Princess of Pop. She earned about $73 million between 1998 and 2003, so it's a five-year span. <laughs> wow. Britney was also the youngest artist in history to receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at age 21. But this type of fame comes at a price. And Britney became, I don't know if you know this, one of the 10 most photographed people in history. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Do you know who else that list includes? Princess Diana. Absolutely. Michael Jackson. Yep. Marilyn Monroe. So Britney's included in this, which means a lot of paparazzi. I mean, I knew she was popular, but I'm kind of surprised by that. I know. I was surprised as well. Meanwhile, Britney's home life growing up was a bit troubled. Britney's parents had some marital conflicts. Her parents were Lynn and Jamie Spears, reportedly due to Jamie's alcohol dependence. And there were other reports of verbal and physical abuse, infidelity, um, and inability to maintain employment. He also had some declared bankruptcy. So this is all reported. I do know that Jamie's alcohol use definitely marked his interpersonal, professional, and legal life since at least his early adulthood. He received a DUI at age 22 for charges of driving under the influence of drug and alcohol. And in 2004, he would actually enter rehab at Britney's urging, and she paid for it. Oh, wow. So, you know, some of this is reported, but some of it's documented. But let's rewind a bit here. In July 1976, only two weeks after having obtained a divorce from his first wife, Jamie married Lynn Irene Bridges. So that's Brittany's mother. However, Lynn filed for divorce just four years after marriage, citing Jamie's abandonment, alcoholism, abuse, and infidelity as reasons. And she requested a temporary restraining order, fearing that Jamie's temper and reported capacity to harm or harass her would be a problem if he was under the influence of alcohol. They had no children at that time? They reconciled. So no, they didn't have children then, but they reunited shortly after and I believe conceived Brittany the next year. So Brittany was born on December 2nd, 1981 in Macomb, Mississippi, but she was raised in the small town of Kentwood, Louisiana, alongside her older brother, Brian, and little sister, Jamie Lynn. You also know Jamie Lynn, correct? Yep. She was a Nickelodeon kid, right? Yeah, she was. Mm -hmm. Was it? I forget the show, actually. Yeah. While Britney's mom was definitely one of the driving forces behind like pursuing fame and fortune for her, Britney felt somewhat guilty because her parents had financial troubles. You know, her mother had basically, since Britney was three years old, devoted all the family's money and time ensuring her talented daughter would become famous. So I think she, you know, saw that as, well, if they didn't spend this money on me. So mm -hmm. she definitely had guilt about that. The family's financial struggle would reach a pinnacle when the Spears family filed for bankruptcy in 1998 and even had their car repossessed. But this was also the same year that Britney released her number one debut single, Baby One More Time. Her father, Jamie, had minimal to no contact with Britney during her childhood and like her height of fame. She always indicated that she was afraid of him. Have you seen any of the footage, news footage of him? Not really. No. And I actually didn't even know they were estranged at some point. Yeah, they were estranged. That's the best way I would say it for, for a number of years. I think probably because her mother was also, you know, afraid of him. And I think because of his alcohol use. But I've seen the documentaries and I've also seen some other footage of him. He's usually 
he's pretty belligerent. Mm-hmm. Like he he did definitely came off as having a temper from what I saw. So they were divorced at this point, the parents, or just separated? They were still married. But mm-hmm. in 2002, Lynn followed through with the divorce at Britney's urging, who mm-hmm. said that, quote, it was the best thing to ever happen to her family. Wow. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't seem a great relationship here. Britney and her mother were really close prior to 2007, reportedly speaking a lot and spending a lot of time together while on tour. But later... Reportedly, Brittany felt betrayed when she would call her mother at her Louisiana mansion that Brittany had purchased for her mother and her father answered. So I guess her father and mother might have still, I don't know, been seeing each other or they were still friends, whatnot. But Brittany was not happy about Mm -hmm. that. In a recent New York Times documentary, Kim Kamen, the senior director of marketing at Jive Records during Brittany's meteoric rise to superstardom, stated the following regarding Jamie Spears, quote, The only thing he ever said to me was, my daughter is going to be so rich, she's going to buy me a boat. And that's all I'll say about Jamie. Hmm. It seemed he was looking at her as, you know, sort of the golden goose. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, that's just a little bit about Jamie, about Lynn, about their family dynamic. This case, this episode has a lot of different facets here. So that was in 2002 when, you know, her fame was really exploding. And then in a very surprising move, Amy, in early 2004, I don't know if you remember this, but Brittany married her childhood friend, Jason Alexander, in Las Vegas. It was clearly impulsive. That was a huge news story. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, It was impulsive because 55 hours later, the marriage was annulled, citing that Spears, quote, lacked the understanding of her actions, which is an interesting term in hindsight. Later, the public would become incensed by Britney's marriage to one of her backup dancers, Kevin Federline, who left his then eight-month pregnant fiancé, the mother of both his two-year-old and unborn baby, upon meeting Britney. And during a transatlantic flight, Britney proposed to Kevin, and this would be the same month that Kevin's second child was born. Do you remember this? I don't remember that part, but I know very much about Kevin. You know, I remember that being mm. a big deal, but I didn't, I don't know, I didn't know the part about him. Called him K-Fed. And oh, of course. Party boy uh-huh. and all of that. He was accused of being a gold digger. The feeling was that she was, um, and this came out on the documentary, or one of the documentaries, because there's several, that as America's sweetheart, she was kind of, you know, uh, above him or too good for him. Brittany was reportedly unaware of Kevin's relationship status, but was nonetheless further maligned and really called a homewrecker after that, too. So her reputation took some real damage for this. Um, the pair would go on to have two children, Sean Preston in 2005 and Jaden James in 2006. But after a brief two-year union, Brittany reportedly filed for divorce after the birth of her second child, citing that she had been left alone with babies for both babies for three weeks as her husband basically hopped aboard a private jet to party with his friends. Kevin had gained quite the reputation as a party boy at that point, as mm-hmm. I had said. So so now Britney's single. And in the Netflix documentary, Britney versus Spears, did you see that one or any of them? No, I wanted to wait until after this okay. episode. You can see that she's hounded in this one by the paparazzi everywhere. It's unbelievable. I mean, I've I've seen paparazzi before, but I couldn't imagine. Like, she couldn't get to her car. Even getting gas. Amy, in California, you have to pump your own gas. You know that? Not like New Jersey. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've driven cross-country several times. Terrible. Uh-huh. I, I hate pumping my own <laughs> gas now. I, I got know. too spoiled. But there's a video of her trying to pump her own gas, but the, like... Poor thing pulls up on the wrong side of the pump, probably because she's surrounded by paparazzi, and it's a pain to turn around, so she tries to reach across the car mm-hmm. to get her tank. A random paparazzo named Adnan Galib 
asks if she needed help pumping her gas, and Brittany accepted his kindness on this occasion. And at other occasions, she would reportedly begin asking about him. And eventually, these two would start dating. So what happened was, let me explain a little bit. She's always surrounded by paparazzi. And I mean, like, everywhere. And at some times, you know, it was really upsetting for her and really distressing. And you can see her, like, running or just getting so flustered. But other times, she would pose for the cameras and whatnot. But she came to take a liking to Adnan. So she was, like, a few times, you know, she was kind of like, well, where is he? Where is he? And, and eventually, the two formed a friendship and started dating, which is an interesting turn of events. I never heard of that. And you know what's even more interesting as you're watching the documentary, he starts, you know, getting hounded by the paparazzi. And I wonder, as a paparazzi <laughs> member, how did he feel about being on the flip side of that? I also he seems wonder, was, too. He, was he like selling private photos or anything? I don't think so. He wasn't? No, okay. no, he, I think he genuinely cared. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed very concerned for her. He said that Brittany had been taking Adderall a lot and would stay up for days at a time. And, you know, it was really taking a toll on her. And also, her divorce was still ongoing at this point. And by 2007, it was getting very complicated. They had a prenup, so it should be straightforward. But with so much at stake, the lawyers kind of swooped in. And the kids were used as pawns in the divorce, it seemed. Although you might argue that Kevin Federline had legitimate concerns about the paparazzi exposure mm-hmm. and her, her children being put in danger. And remember, they were in the car with her mm-hmm. several times being chased. And around this time, Brittany became estranged again from her parents when she was divorcing because she was, get this, afraid that her parents were going to try to swoop in and take control of everything. Kind of like foreshadowing here. I think she felt like she was losing control. And I think she saw that maybe her parents, you know, I can't speak, but maybe they were taking more control over her finances and her business. And I think she was, you know, saw almost the writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. Around that time, another man entered Britney's life. His name was Sam Lefty. He claimed to be Britney's former manager, but Britney claimed that he was just a sometimes friend. They met at a bar, chatted, and she asked for his number. Then later, she would call him one night asking for help, possibly advice. She seemed, you know, it was kind of unclear what she wanted help with. But the theme that kept coming up in one of the documentaries was that it felt like Brittany didn't have anyone in her life she could trust. You see from time to time, this is not the first example I'll give you, where she reached out to almost strangers Mm -hmm. asking for help. She didn't have any close girlfriends? You know, it didn't reveal any close girlfriends. If I'm sure she, I've seen her with girlfriends, Mm -hmm. but... I didn't get anything from what I read or the documentary that there was someone that she could go to. Mm-hmm. She didn't have an Amy. <laughs> Brittany definitely had, you know, you saw her with some some friends over the time, but it seemed like those were more fragmented relationships too that didn't, you know, stand the test of time. And, you know, maybe it wasn't the, the type of quality relationship that she needed. Mm-hmm. So Sam Lufty says that he encouraged her to surround herself with family, but he admitted that at the time he didn't understand the full family drama. You know, he said, I would want my family around, but Brittany did not want her family around. Now, the paparazzi plays a huge role in the story. And while today tabloid photos have lost their value, it's because celebrities now can take their own Mm -hmm. social media. They can post selective edited, you know, images. The demand for the paparazzi was still really high in 2007 and 2008. And Brittany was like the primary target of bidding wars. With just one photo could earn, uh, you know, paparazzi $100,000 for a, just a photo of Britney. Any photo. <laughs> 
the Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. During the 24-7 news cycle surrounding Britney's basic daily activities, the content primarily consisted of sensationalized allegations um, without evidence regarding her maternal incompetence, insults related to her physical appearance with, I don't know if you remember these, but there were nonstop headlines commenting on her weight, her clothes, her hygiene, and her, quote, immoral character related to relationships she had. Paparazzi were hounding her everywhere, chasing her through red lights, you know, similar to what happened to Princess Di. And what I kept thinking was, I can't imagine the anxiety that that would bring and, and, you know, the stress, the distress. When photographed simply exiting a vehicle, hordes of paparazzi would capture I don't know if you remember this, but upskirt images of Britney. Mm-hmm. So prompting news outlets to mock her, quote, sluttiness and, quote, craziness. You know, they're implying that there's a connection between them shooting a picture up her skirt, by the way, and her ability to mother and parent and her character. In a strange twist on parenting, mothers across the nation were becoming incensed with Britney for being a, quote, bad role model to their children, essentially for being too sexual. This was a common sentiment. In fact, in 2002, then First Lady of Maryland, Kendall Ehrlich, stated, quote, really, if I had an opportunity to shoot Britney Spears, I think I would. What? She said this at a domestic violence rally. She was also, by the way, applauded for this comment. She later apologized, but still, I mean, what did this woman do to earn this? So Britney was really under immense pressure, and because every moment of her outside life was being photographed, Several emotional outbursts were documented, and the narrative that Britney was losing it started to be constructed in the media. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're going to remember there were two incredibly highly publicized involuntary... When she shaved her head. (laughs) Well, there was publicized events, and then there's publicized involuntary psychiatric holds. Mm -hmm. They're called 5150s. The first occurred on January 1st, 2008, when police were called to Britney's home when she locked herself in a room, refusing to turn over her kids to Kevin's bodyguard at the court appointed mm-hmm. time. She was taken away in an ambulance for emotional distress, and there were rumors of substance abuse at that time. The footage of this ambulance ride is so disturbing, mm-hmm. Amy. The paparazzi were chasing the ambulance, literally hanging onto the back of the vehicle just to get a photo in it mm-hmm. to see her laying on, you know, a stretcher. It was unbelievable. Later at the hospital, Kevin would show up with his lawyer and Brittany's father. A judge then made the decision to remove all custodial rights prior to receiving any evaluation results, which would indicate, you know, would have told you whether Brittany was under the influence of an illegal substance, drugs, alcohol. She wasn't in any way endangering her children as well. The first responders had said that and multiple other witnesses testified to that. But her custody was taken away indefinitely. And it seems like that judgment had to be influenced by the onslaught of negative press she was enduring. Mm -hmm. I I think that's definitely what was happening here. And soon after, Brittany would return to the hospital on January 31st under a second involuntary psychiatric hold. Of the same year? 
Yeah, Brittany had this incident where she shaved her head. You probably remember that. And that was all over the news, but that wasn't actually directly related to the second involuntary hold. So Brittany was returned again on January 31st under a second involuntary psychiatric hold. And just the next day, February 1st, Jamie Spears petitioned the court and was granted temporary conservatorship over Brittany. They were strange, though, at this point, weren't they? This is the bizarre point. Yes. But it seems like nobody knew that. So let's talk about this conservatorship. Remember, you had asked me before Mm -hmm. what it is. Let, Let me expand a little bit. I feel like I didn't know much about this before this case, but for those who don't know, it's really when a judge appoints someone legal guardianship over an adult who is deemed incapacitated in some way. Like I said before, they assume all financial, legal, and personal affairs. Is that the same thing as when you have um, power of attorney? It sounds like it. Someone grants power of attorney to someone else if they realize it's ahead of time. It's not court appointed. It's not, it's not taken. Usu- mm-hmm. Usually power of attorney is like, you know, my mom has given me power yeah. of attorney if something, she mm-hmm. gets sick. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But the important point here is that my mom retains the control. If she wants to withdraw that power of attorney and, you mm-hmm. know, control her own finances and whatnot, she can. So this wasn't an option here. And issuing a second voluntary hold on Brittany on January 31st, 2008, California law actually requires that conservatees be personally presented with papers with five days notice before a conservatorship takes effect. It allows you time for a legal protest. Mm -hmm. But this can be waived if a judge decides the conservatee could suffer, quote, immediate and substantial harm. How does this relate to Brittany? The family would name Sam Lufty in court documents as a destabilizing force in Brittany's life and the reason why that five-day notification should be waived. They claim that he was crushing drugs and putting them in her food and drinks, like to control her, a claim he adamantly denies. there there any evidence that that was occurring? No, there's no evidence that it was. And in fact, I thought he brought up a good point when I watched him on the documentary. He said, like, how would I do this in front of the world? And, you know, she could easily have asked for a drug test. I mean, it, it just seemed like it almost seemed a little bit ridiculous. But I'll tell you what, Judge Reva Goats granted the request from the family and waived the requirement to notify Brittany that any of this was going to happen. Now, is this indefinite, the conservatorship? Right now, it's temporary. Temporary. At this point. But at this point, was there an actual end date or temporary as per the court? Temporary as per the court. Like, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But still, she didn't get the five days. No, she got no notice. That's crazy. Like, one day, she has control of her life. And the next day, without any warning, and without any ability to state her case, she loses control of her entire life. And despite her not being admitted to the hospital after 4 a.m., the unredacted court document providing Jamie Spears full control of his daughter's person and estate, which was granted on this temporary basis, was already signed and dated for January 31st, listing UCLA Medical Center as Brittany's address. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Amy, but this is starting to smell a little sinister. Like basically, before he applied for the conservatorship, he already had the paperwork done. So you, you're almost suggesting he was plotting it and just waiting for the perfect time. It seems something's going on. A former family friend, Jacqueline Butcher, who has since denounced the entire Spears family conservatorship plot as stemming from greed, was present in the courtroom during the moment that the judge signed away Britney's rights and said that Britney had no input into the matter and never had a chance. No questions were asked. And the whole process lasted maybe 10 minutes. That's how long it took to take away all of her rights. So where was Lynn during this? They were becoming estranged at this time. You know, she, she was close with her, but around 2007, remember, she started separating from her family. And it's 
I don't know what the exact cause of that was, but she was not tight with her mom at this point. But Lynn and Jamie were together at this point? They were not together. Oh, God. They weren't together. But apparently they were together on this idea of a conservatorship because Brittany later on says that it was Lynn's idea. So they weren't together as a couple, but they were working together in some way. In Brittany's case, there were two conservatorships, too. There was an estate conservatorship that managed her financial affairs, and that was run by her father, Jamie, and an attorney who um, referred to the conservatorship as a hybrid business model. His name was Andrew Wallet. Mm-hmm. I think it's ironic. Wallet. Wallet. Oh, yeah, we, we were saying that. The second was a personal conservatorship that controlled nearly every aspect of her personal life, run exclusively by Jamie, who now had the power to determine who Brittany could see, what medical care she would receive, what legal rights she would have, and as we're going to see, so much more. Brittany's loss of custody was the purported reason her father expressed he was going to be her temporary conservator. He promised that he was going to basically help her regain custody and he would give her back control of her financial affairs afterwards. Because remember, she had lost Mm -hmm. custody after, okay. In reality, though, a couple weeks later, Jamie filed for the conservatorship to be made permanent after stating it would only be temporary. Now, a permanent probate conservatorship is intended as a last resort. It's a legal measure primarily reserved for elderly people who have lost cognitive functioning and they can't manage their finances or their daily activities. The typical age of a conservative ranges from 76 to 81. Now, do you know of any other cases where a young person was under a conservatorship? I know one um, right now. Uh, I think she's still Amanda Bynes. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. But she had a lot of issues with substance abuse. And if I'm not mistaken, she not only had that, but I think she had some serious, substantial mental health issues that rendered her really unable to take care Mm -hmm. of herself. And I think her parents stepped in. I think that was more for her well-being. Um, She's the only person I know offhand. There was a movie. Have you heard of the movie I Care a Lot? Mm, Nope. Rosamund Pike. I I can't remember if it was on Netflix or whatnot, but it's a dark comedy, but it's a little terrifying. She plays, you know, a conservator who basically goes in and get a doctor like to kind of scam with her, Mm. get a doctor to say someone can't take care of themselves. She goes to court, takes over their whole life, even if they're fine and wipes them out, just cleans cleans them out of money. That's Um, crazy. You know, and that's not, I hope, the way it usually works. But that movie gave me a scary look at it. Okay, so interestingly, a couple of years Later, I think it was 2018, Jamie Spears had a restraining order against him. And remember, he was going to help with custody. And this was barring him from all access to Britney's boys because he physically attacked one of the children in 2019, going so far as to break down a door to get to one of the children. So Kevin Federline requested you know, a restraining order because he was afraid of Jamie's temper. And nevertheless, this was not sufficient for Britney's abuse allegations to be taken seriously for years on end because. She had been stating to people that, you know, she was being abused. She, I think she called the police station and reported abuse, like, and asked for help. So over the years, she tried to get out of the conservatorship. Yeah, yeah. And Brittany was seemingly punished for her father's continued inability to control his aggression. Despite the fact that she wasn't even present for this altercation, his actions resulted in the custody agreement between her and Kevin Federline being altered. It was changed at one point. It was 50-50, then it was 70-30. And then following this alleged assault, it went to 90-10 with her losing substantial time with her children due to her father, her legal conservative, her legal guardians, 
you know, a physical aggression towards the so children. So she was still seeing the children. She was still allowed to see okay. them, but not a lot. And yeah. it wasn't because of anything she did. Wow. This is really unfair. And you had asked before, but Brittany did. She made several attempts to remove the conservatorship. Keep in mind, though, that every aspect of her life was under control, where she went, who she talked to. So she had texted, remember I told you about Adnan Glebe? She had texted him to help, please, please help me. And he hatched a plan to get her in touch with a lawyer. So one day, while she was going to a burger joint with one of the, her dad's appointed bodyguards, she gave him the slip and like quickly jumped back in her car and drove off, like took the car. And she met up with Adnan and the two set off to meet with attorney Adam Streisand. It wasn't really a secret meeting as the pair were chased by about 70 vehicles and two helicopters worth of paparazzi. Can you imagine this? A helicopter. It's like O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Adam Streisand would agree to represent Brittany and he petitioned the court. But the judge re- responded by saying, well, I have a report that says that Brittany doesn't have the capacity to retain her own counsel. So since Brittany doesn't have the capacity to retain her own counsel, she's not allowed to have it. So uh, this lawyer, Adam Streisand, was asked to leave the courtroom and Brittany was denied the right to have her own counsel. That's shocking. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah I didn't. Uh, I never heard of such no, a thing. No, no, I've never heard of such a thing either. You see, Amy, in the initial filing that, you know, got her this conservatorship, there was a box checked. You know, there's a reasons for it. And one of them was that she was suffering from some form of dementia. Hmm. You see, Dr. James Spar was involved. He was a retired geriatrician who had never previously treated Brittany, but reportedly stated that she was not competent to choose her own counsel. And that was the reason why Adam Streisand was dismissed. But he further found her lacking the ability to attend the hearing And as such, every single document across 13 years reported her presence in the court as either not mandatory or able but unwilling to attend. Doesn't this seem like, you know, like a conspiracy here? Yeah. You know, what's also interesting is that Dr. Spar and the lawyer, Mr. Streisand, were colleagues at one point co-authoring two journal articles regarding conservatorships and diminished mental capacity during this precise time frame. And yet they found themselves opposing each other here. Now, the dementia rationale, which kind of applies to all major neurocognitive disorders like Alzheimer's, was the sole manner in which all control of Brittany's assets, medical decisions, and personal life could be seized as these disorders eventually render someone incapacitated. Hence, the conservatorship was really based on that claim of dementia alongside the promise of a medical evaluation to be filed later, never filed. So there is no medical evaluation of her. For every form produced throughout the 13 years subsequent to January 31st, 2008, the no capacity due to dementia box was never once again checked. So did she have dementia? Why was that checked? Why would it not be checked for 13 years? Why didn't she receive a medical evaluation? I can't believe that all this was going on. I can't either. When contacted during the course of the Free Britney movement, Dr. Spar said he had no idea as to why Britney was still in a conservatorship. In the Netflix documentary, he denies that he ever met Britney Spears or even evaluated her. He basically said, show me a signed paper with my signature on it. Otherwise, I don't have any comment on this. And this doctor's evaluation was the basis for the initial conservatorship. Moving along, on March 17, 2008, another attorney, Brittany, attempted to retain, John Erdley, submitted the following information to the court regarding Jamie's behavior immediately upon having been granted as a conservator and outlining this utter lack of due process that Brittany suffered. So 
I won't go through necessarily everything, but, you know, some of the things he said is that Mr. Spears has now moved into her house and taken control of her financial assets as well as her physical custody, all without the benefit of a hearing where Britney Spears could be present. So he essentially lived in the house with her? Yes. She was denied fundamental rights to associate freely and to utilize telephones and other methods of communication with the outside world. That's another accusation in this document. She's basically, he alleged, been in a form of private confinement. She was essentially confined, not allowed to leave, not allowed to contact the outside world. And she wasn't in a romantic relationship at this time? She had a couple of relationships in and out around this time. I think she may have even still been seeing Adnan, but she mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to communicate with him. Or, you know, he he discussed where he could see the writing was on the wall. Like, mm-hmm. they were out one time getting, like, a burger, and her father freaked out and made them come back. Adnan talked about having to return her home or else he was going to be accused of kidnapping by Jamie. Her lawyer also alleged that there were financial issues which involved the possible misappropriation of assets. And basically just that, you know, she's never been comfortable with with her live-in father conservator. And in fact, Amy, her father doesn't have to be a conservator. She can have a conservator that does not have to be a family member. And when we were watching one of the specials, there was a lawyer who specialized in conservatorships who suggested that there are many good reasons why your family member should not be your conservator, that it should be someone you know free of these complex family relationships. Her lawyer ended with, counsel cannot overstress his concern for the physical and emotional safety of his client. Early's above concerns were waived given Brittany didn't have the capacity to hire him. And when he tried filing suit for her in federal court, he was served with a restraining order by Jamie Spears. The judge that had issued a restraining order on John Erdley at Jamie Spears' request was the same judge that issued a restraining order on Sam Lufty again at Jamie Spears' request. The interesting about this judge, Aviva K. Bob, Bob was the municipal judge overseeing the infamous McMartin preschool case, also known as the longest and most expensive hearing in California history without a conviction. Didn't we cover that case? We absolutely covered this case. Bob was the one who ordered all seven of the accused to stand trial on 130 counts of child molestation and conspiracy. So that's, you know, a little context for who this judge was. You realize we have so many cases at this point that more and more our cases are starting to intertwine. All right, Amy, after John Erdley was dismissed, a volunteer lawyer by the name of Samuel Ingham was appointed as Brittany's counsel. So Sam Ingham, the court-appointed attorney for the entirety of the conservatorship, was essentially Jamie and Brittany's attorney. Both of them were his clients, but Brittany was paying all the legal fees. Isn't that a conflict of interest? It is a conflict. And she was covering his annual salary, by the way, of $520,000. She had to pay for that. What? Yes. Meanwhile, Brittany's own living expenses in 2019 were $438,000. So she was paying her attorney more than her living expenses. His appointment as her counsel should never have occurred, probably. She wasn't allowed to choose her own lawyer. Ingham is also, you know, some of these people come up again. He's also, interestingly, a defendant in the 2019 wrongful death suit by the widow of radio star Casey Kasem. Do you remember Casey Kasem? Yes. Yeah. Alleging that his role in the conspiracy to kill his client, a conservative, for financial gain. Wow. I mean, I, I can't really speak to that. I do remember it was a crazy story with mm-hmm. Casey Kasem, too, and the fight between his widow and his children yep. and moving him around a lot. Anyway, Brittany had repeated attempts to hire her own counsel again via burner phones. 
um, secretly meeting like journalists. And for various reasons, Amy, these attempts to have representation in the courts were all turned down. So there's been multiple attempts to get Britney help over the past couple of years by Erdley, um, by Streisand. And in 2009, Adnan Ghalib was still trying to help Britney get a new lawyer. They were trying to get Britney to sign some documents. And I think these documents, again, were requesting a lawyer and stating that she didn't have confidence. There was a journalist from Rolling Stone who was helping her. She kind of knew Britney and was friendly with her. And a documentary producer brought these documents to her. And it was like an elusive meeting where she met Brittany at the Montage Hotel and in the bathroom. Like it was like some secret meeting. This was to witness her signing contracts, basically to attest that this was really Brittany's signature on these documents, that this wasn't some type of forgery. And, you know, she brought these documents for Brittany to sign and then was supposed to get them out because Brittany couldn't she couldn't get documents to anyone on her own, basically. Sam Ingham stated that Brittany had called him and told him about a meeting with a journalist in the bathroom and claimed that she did not want to change lawyers and that she was completely satisfied with his representation. So this attempt again failed. So basically, Brittany signed these documents saying, please help me, please get me a new lawyer. Sam, her lawyer, who's court appointed and who is getting paid a lot of money by her, basically tells the court, no, she that's not true. She didn't want to really do it. It's probably not even her signature. <laughs> so, so they're pretty much saying she's crazy. She's like, none of this is true. They're, they're saying none of this is true and that, you know, Brittany's fine and everything's going well. More recently, she related having asked one attorney to pretend he was a plumber for pur- purposes of a consultation just to get him in the house because wow. she can't have meetings without her father. What would have happened if she just like ran away? If you're under conservatorship, like what if she just left the house and like drove to a lawyer's house? What's the consequence? I think he could have had her, you know, I think he could send the police out to return her. He had legal guardianship. It's like. I know she had bodyguards. You couldn't probably get away anyway. Well, she couldn't. She was totally trapped and totally. He did. He surrounded her with bodyguards all the time. He never let her go anywhere by herself. And her conservators allege that Brittany never petitioned for the dissolution of this conservatorship in 13 years. But multiple court documents reveal her pleas for it to end both in 2014 and 2016. And really, they show that she made consistent attempts from the beginning to at least retain her own counsel. Throughout her conservatorship, Brittany would have these medical checkup reports. One such report said, don't let her return back to work because it would, you know, put pressure on her and that she would have a relapse. And this was right before her management team then went ahead and planned a major world tour. So they're saying that they're concerned about her health, but she's been advised not to go and they put her back to work. Of significant note, it seems that she never really met the criteria of being unable to feed, clothe, or shelter herself, which is a basic standard for conservatorship. If the conservatee is sufficiently functional to earn an independent living or to be able to generate this enormous income, not just for herself, but her entire family and the team, then the conservatorship itself logically ceases to exist, like per its original legal intention. On the documentary, one of the conservator lawyers or one of the documentaries, one of the lawyers said, I've never had a conservatee who could work. Like usually they cannot work, but she's going on major world tours. There are claims against competence in simple activities of daily living appears very contradictory given her simultaneously embarking on the biggest worldwide tour of her career to date, which consisted 18 songs with all brand new choreography and 97 shows across three continents. The same tour started less than a year after she was deemed too incapacitated to choose her own counsel, and she generated $130 million. How is someone who is incapacitated do that? 
In fact, between 1999 and 2018, Britney headlined 10 tours, grossing over $570 million in addition to a record-breaking Las Vegas residency consisting of 248 shows with earnings of $100 million. Overall, while controlling for taxes, royalties, management fees, and other typical expenses for an artist, Britney's current fortune should be over $350 million, with like total gross earnings exceeding $600 million but was reported as $59 million in 2021, with consistent patterns of massive unexplained losses and minimal annual gains, which is baffling to, you know, financial industry insiders. Well, and, it's and clear her father was taking it. No? It seems like they're draining her, her money. That's what it actually seems like with enormous expenses. I want to point out too, I'm sorry, I just want to point out that during her conservatorship, Jamie was earning $2 million from tour revenues. Plus, he paid himself $16,000 a month for his salary. Because he was technically her manager, correct? Like, no, he's that's her happened. guardian. He's not. She had a manager. She had oh. managers. So no, he's not her manager. And by the way, while he was taking a $16,000 allowance, he was reportedly paying her $8,000 a month as an allowance. So he's paying himself twice what she's making. But how is he even... Why is he paying himself? Because he has to be her guardian? Mm -hmm. he, like his salary is so he yeah. can be her caretaker. Yeah. He's taking a salary, but he's taking... Cuts of everything else, too. Wow. Tours, money, you know. And he's making financial business decisions on her behalf. Were there were any allegations of abuse? Obviously, this is all abuse, but any, like, sexual, physical abuse? I'm going to tell you, actually, about the allegations. Okay. And you tell me what you think, because there's all these different types of abuse. You know, Brittany said that she felt extorted, held hostage. You know, reports that she had a lot of fear of her father and his temper. And we know abuse comes in many different forms. So I don't think there was any ever sexual abuse, mm -hmm. from what I understand. But there was definitely a fear factor here. And let me just get right into that. The extent to which he seemingly abused and demeaned his daughter in full view of others has been observed and documented by a lot of others. Just weeks after her two involuntary hospitalizations and the establishment of the conservatorship, her close friend, I think we mentioned her before, Jacqueline Butcher, said she witnessed Jamie saying to Brittany, you're fat. Daddy's going to get you on a diet and a trainer and you're going to get back in shape. He then pointed at the television and said, you see that TV over there? You know what it's going to say in eight weeks. That's going to be you on TV, and they're going to say she's back. They said that Jamie would scream. There was reports that he screamed in Britney's face, calling her derogatory terms like a whore and a bad mother, while also yelling like so furiously that he was spitting on her. Like that's the kind of anger that he kind of exuded. On several occasions, people said that Jamie was observed hollering, I am Britney Spears. Meaning like, I control everything and I'm Britney. So where are her siblings during this? Her mother? Like, what's she going on with, with everyone them. else? She had a rift with them at the time. Let me, let me just, I'm not going to cover all of them, but let me cover a couple other things that he did. He reportedly placed recording devices in Britney's bedroom and underneath her bed without her consent and listened to 180 hours of Britney's private conversations and moments with her fiancé or moments with her partners and sons. This is crossing a line here. He was always allowed to have access to her text messages. He forced her to work reportedly when she was sick, having been on stage with a fever of 104. No one was allowed to say the word conservatorship, not even her manager. It was essentially like a fight club. Reportedly, he involuntarily hospitalized Britney for four months due to her refusing a dance move in rehearsals. I'm not sure to, to what extent we can say that that was true or not, but... Jamie banned alcohol consumption, energy drinks, controlled what she ate. 
And a former nanny and housekeeper for Brittany actually threatened a lawsuit against Jamie, claiming that he had exhibited, quote, verbal abuse, tirades, inappropriate behavior, and alcoholic relapses. And this was interesting because Brittany was subject to ongoing random drug tests for the entire 13 years of her conservatorship. And she wanted to know why Jamie, he was a a chronic alcoholic. Mm. And why also someone with a history of really bad finances and bankruptcy, why would they be a financial conservator? You know, meanwhile, you know, Brittany wanted Jamie to be drug tested, but the judge said that was inappropriate, even though he had a long history of documented, you know, alcohol abuse. And ironically, there was evidence that the team would increase Brittany's medication stimulants that she had on work days versus non-work days. So like during her her stint on X Factor, they would give her more drugs, yet they were concerned about her drug use, right? Meanwhile, Jamie was becoming increasingly more religious with the influence of Louise Taylor, he wound up donating 10% of his income to Lou's church. So Luis is Lou. At the time, just so you know how he knows her, Brittany's little sister, Jamie Lynn, was her client. She went on the Today Show as a spokesperson for the Spears family. She was a self-appointed business manager of TriStar Sports and Entertainment in Nashville. Less than a month prior to filing for the conservatorship, Jamie was $40,000 in debt. A few weeks after providing Jamie with a sizable loan, from Louise Taylor of TriStar Management. Um, she was made a co-conservator of Britney's estate in the capacity of business manager. Yes, so they were a tiny company. They were hired as Britney's business management. They had no notable clients. And at some point, they represented the Kardashians as well. And Louise Taylor was featured as business manager elite in a 2019 issue of Variety magazine. So they got their fame from representing Britney. In July 2020, Lou sent a letter saying that they lost $400,000 in billings for work as Britney's manager and requested a half a million dollars to stay on as her manager. Jamie oddly sent the money the next day. There's something very strange going on here with the finances and, the, and Britney's manager. For a highlight also about Lou Taylor, Britney's foundation, which was intended to uh, benefit lower-income children who wanted to become performers was drained within two years of the conservatorship, with a final payment of $50,000 made to Mercy Ministries, a Christian therapy program where they claim to cure all mental illness by prayer and abuse, okay, um, rather than medication or therapy from qualified licensed mental health professionals. This is particularly horrific as Brittany's an advocate and an icon to the LGBT community and was honored with the 2018 GLAAD Award. So they're using her money, which she received in part from, you know, a, a sizable gay fan base, and funneling it into further suppressing members of this community, saying it was, you know, a mental illness. So this must have been really just horrible for her. Um, sources have indicated that Jamie tried to cure Brittany with religion as well, because he became religious, he was baptized. She couldn't read anything that wasn't explicitly Christian. Brittany said that her father was obsessed with her and controlling her, and he was controlling her relationships as well. And I'm sure you've heard this, but she had to have a forcible insertion of an IUD, and her conservators refused to have it removed. It's forcible sterilization. So I have to tell you, I could go on and on, Amy. There's more, but I think you're, you're getting the picture mm -hmm. of some of the abuses that she suffered. And I think the listeners probably get the point now, too. This went on for years and years. Now, Fast forward to 2019, um, Brittany drops out of a Vegas tour before it started citing health concerns, and she seemed to have disappeared with many people saying that she was being held prisoner. There was a missing poster. I don't know if you remember this. She was basically taking a break for social media. She showed up on Instagram in April 2019 with a public statement about her family. Mm -hmm. 
And although many of her fans have questioned the conservatorship's inception, those who dared publicly were personally sued and threatened by Jamie Spears and or Lou Taylor. However, you know, more than a decade later, around this time, 2019, the movement to free Britney began to grow via social media as Britney had been held in this involuntary confinement for several months and people were starting to notice. Celebrities and industry insiders began publicly stating their concerns for Britney, her fans, you know, the creation of the, you know, hashtag free Britney movement prompted an investigation into the conservatorship by media outlets and became the biggest trending story of 2021 following the NYT documentary Framing Britney Spears. Mm. But essentially, there was a momentum. It was time. People had noticed. And Britney made a profound plea to the court about the abuse she had suffered. But on June 30th, 2021, one week after this plea, the judge denied Britney's request to have her father removed as her conservator. However, after all of this, um, the Free Britney social movement and the release of her testimony, the public pressure intensified. And what happened was Senator Elizabeth Warren and the ACLU got involved. And on July 6th, Britney's attorney, Sam Ingham, resigned because there was all this pressure. And she was able finally to get a new lawyer, Matthew Rosengart, and he immediately filed for removal of Jamie Spears as conservator. Jamie requested from Britney's estate more than $1 million in legal fees and related media fees. And Rosengart refused, putting Mr. Spears on notice, essentially. And then on September 7th, Jamie Spears requested to be removed from Britney's conservatorship and recommended it be terminated. Because there was so much yeah, there pressure, was, he was like, all right, this everyone is Everyone was dropping out. Like, there was a lot of pressure. I think they realized the curtain's coming down, mm-hmm. and I think he, he saw the writing on the wall as well, and he was just ready to get out. So documents reveal that this conservatorship was ultimately dissolved without Britney having to undergo any form of evaluations, which experts admit is highly unusual. And further, highly suggestive that she never met the criteria to begin with. And since she had not been allowed to get married, her boyfriend, Sam Ashgari, you know who her mm-hmm. boyfriend is, right? Who had proudly adorned those pink free Britney shirts beside her, proposed almost immediately after the conservatorship was dissolved. And I'm sure you saw a lot of her excited posts. Oh, yeah. I follow her very closely on Instagram. So let's turn to her her mental health, Amy, which seems to be the reason for this conservatorship due to her lack of known established diagnosis. The I was going to say, she never got diagnosed, right? At some point, I believe Brittany was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. At least she's spoken to this in interviews and I think maybe in one of the documentaries as well. Um, she talked about uh, having you know symptoms of bipolar disorder and taking medications for it. But to my knowledge, she hasn't been diagnosed with anything else. And we should keep in mind, Amy, that 1% of all Americans have bipolar disorder and are high functioning and are certainly not under a conservatorship for this illness. And mental illness is not legally a sufficient basis for a probate conservatorship. Using the existence of a mental illness for purposes of violating constitutional rights, discriminatory and illegal. And just to be clear, if she had suffered from a mental illness which rendered her need of protection, then the protocol per California would have been a temporary conservatorship that would have lasted for one year. Hmm. It went on for 13. And you know what's also interesting, Amy? Relatively few people question the logic of indefinitely placing Britney under the control of her father, but many celebrities today, former Disney stars included, are celebrated for their courage upon entering a rehab facility or admitting to suffering from substance or mental illness. You know, some of these female artists include Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez, even Lady Gaga. 
and they haven't had their capacity to exercise autonomy taken away. And not to mention the double standard with men. For example, I don't know if you remember this, but Kanye West had some very public outbursts as well that would have probably made his fitness or his his capacity questioned, but he didn't lose any of his autonomy. I want to put that out. So who's to blame in the end? Who's to blame for what happened? Well, you could say... Jamie. Per, <laughs> per Britney's own words, Lynn concocted the entire conservatorship scheme and subsequently ruined her life. Britney said about her mother that her mother is just as sadistic as her father, but in a different way. She warned that Lynn plays the innocent Bible-holding, church-going Southern woman stereotype as a means of manipulation. So their relationship seriously dissolved. Lynn now attempted to distance herself from the uh, conservatorship, absolutely. Was she also getting money from the conservatorship? You know, I didn't see anything about that, but I have to imagine that there was some financial benefit. I'm not sure if it was between her and Jamie or if she still retained part business. I didn't see anything about that, though, to be perfectly honest with you. And Lynn, Lynn wrote an exploitative book in 2008 regarding Britney and her personal life while estranged from her daughter. So she made money off of her that way. She embarked on a media tour to promote her book. Didn't her sister just do that too? Brittany was pretty upset about that as well. She also sent her sister a cease and desist order for the derogatory and defamatory things that were said about her in her sister's book. So we'll also want to keep our eye on what happens there. And so it seems that, you know, there are people who have really financially benefited over Brittany. But really, we, we look at Jamie Spears here. You know, Britney stated that the control he had over someone as powerful as me, he loved that control. He loved it 100%. No one also knows what would have happened to, you know, Britney Spears to her fate had she been left in control of her own fortune. How could she have done worse financially? So, yeah, I think in the end, she looks at her father and her family as really the driving force of taking away her rights. At the end, Amy, because this was a lot to cover, I just want to wrap it up by talking about theory, criminological theory. I bet you didn't think I was going to do that. Well, first of all, have you learned a lot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to go into a theory of Jamie Spears and his behavior, his actions. Control balance theory. Oh, you got me. Okay. Control balance. It seemed that he had like a lifelong control deficit where he felt like he had no control. And then he basically got into this position of power where he couldn't contain himself. He he'd started to abuse this power, exerting domination and control. But I think it's the result of having felt so out of control for such a long time. So when people don't have a control balance, how much you know control they can exert over themselves or how much is exerted over them, um, that leads to crime. And also, I put down the American dream theory here, Amy. Hmm. Um, you know, he had failed marriages, bankruptcy, lack of stable employment. His daughter was making it financially, but he wasn't. So I think it fulfilled, you know, his financial desperation. Mm -hmm. the, the conservatorship did that, um, but also gave him this, you know, respect that he couldn't get through mm -hmm. mainstream society. So I'd say that, you know, maybe the American dream, this was his access to the American dream. And this is why he abused and extorted. It really seemed like extortion mm -hmm. over his daughter for years. And as far as the system goes, I would say that it didn't work. Britney was under a 13-year conservatorship, and the only reason that she got out of it was really, and this happens in a lot of our cases, the public mm -hmm. shined a light on the injustice of the system. And from what I understand, Jamie Spears is not being held criminally liable for anything. He is not being and held she, She's going to sue him, though, I'm assuming. Brittany. That's a good question. And yes, Brittany's current lawyer, Matthew Rosengart, has indicated that they are going to look into financial mismanagement by both Jamie Spears and Lou Taylor. 
We have yet to see as well if any criminal charges will be filed. But I think the civil suits are definitely coming at the very least. I don't know what's going to be the next moves, but I'd be curious to see where she goes from here. I think for now, she's just really enjoying her like newfound freedom and having autonomy over her life. And though it took 13 long years, Brittany is finally free to live her life any way she wants. In the end, Brittany said, I'm not here to be a victim. I've lived with victims my whole life as a child. That's why I got out of my house and I worked for 20 years. I'm here to be an advocate for people with real disabilities and real illnesses. Adding, I'm a very strong woman, so I can only imagine what the system has done to those people. All right, well, that was quite a case, huh, Amy? But for now, we have a couple questions from our patrons, Amy. So let's turn to those questions. The first one is from Shoes. And the question is, will you be covering Elizabeth Holmes? Do you think she strategically planned her pregnancy to avoid a long prison sentence? So I don't I don't know your answer to the first part, Megan, but I know we tend to shy away from cases that have been overly covered. But I think this might be a case that once sentencing happens, it might be something we'll consider. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Um, I thought about covering it a couple of times and I'd like to, but I really would like to see the sentencing first. I feel like this is one where I want a conclusion. And the second part of the question is, you know, did she strategically plan a pregnancy? The answer that I have to that is I would like to think no, but I wouldn't put anything past Elizabeth Holmes. And also it's possible if she knows that she's going to be facing a long prison sentence and she's only getting older and she knows she wanted children, now's really her only time because once she's incarcerated, she's not going to be able to. That's absolutely true. Um, In short, I'm not sure why she did so, but I also know that her prison sentence probably will be what it will be regardless of children, I think, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for the question. And Amy, what's our second question? Second question from Emily. Emily says, have you ever been in a situation where you knew the person was wrongfully accused or not held accountable? And how did you handle it emotionally? It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ever actually know. You can have an inkling, but it's rare that you can know for sure if someone's wrongfully convicted or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it happens Quite often, whenever we do work with people who are incarcerated, I'd say True. one out of 10 people I meet, I have a strong feeling that they should not be there. No, it's very, very difficult um, to handle. And, and you, you do get, you know, emotionally kind of charged about it. The way I think we handle it is we just we get out there, we, we start researching, we start writing, we start podcasting. You know, I think we just throw ourselves into it. But I also would say more common than that is actually meeting people in prison that are guilty of something, but probably punished too severely. They're remorseful. You see their lives there. And I think I tend to feel a lot of sympathy, like those people who are convicted on felony murder or other. I think it's more common that we meet with people who are remorseful and who are reformed, but are still going to spend very, very long time in prison. And that's that's very difficult as well. Both are difficult. And I think we just throw ourselves into our work and that's how we handle it. Yes, that's a really great question. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much for your questions. Thank you for your support. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. 
For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include Variety, Forbes, Documentary Britney vs. Spears, The New York Times, The New Yorker, Rolling Stone, and Money Nation. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.